welcome to Get Flush, the Portable Sanitation Podcast. Now, here's your host, Pooh Man Pete. Yes, that's right. My name's Pete, and I'll be your host, and this is Get Flushed, the Portable Sanitation Podcast. Now, that fantastic introduction was recorded by Charlie and Benji Smith over in Australia, and they did that because today's show is all about their family business, Hiraloo. In a moment, I'll be joined by Guy Smith, who is Charlie and Benji's dad, and I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation that we recorded earlier this week. Before I do that, I want to say thank you to Chad Baker, who left a review of Get Flushed on podchaser.com. Now, Chad wrote, Pete does an excellent job of creating thought-provoking excitement around the portable toilet industry. His tips and techniques are invaluable, and I've become an avid follower of this totally original, one-of-a-kind podcast. And another listener, Terry, wrote, This show rocks. Pete knows his stuff and shares great tips and insights that would improve any business, not just those providing portable toilets. No waffle, clear explanation and interesting guests. Definitely worth a regular listen. Well, thank you, Terry. And I hope to live up to your expectations today when I share the interview I recorded with Guy. Now, it was a long conversation. We were on the phone for nearly two hours, but I've edited it down and I've cut out the waffle. And I think you're really going to enjoy what comes next. This is Guy Smith from Hiraloo on the Queensland coast. Pete. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Pete. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited that you're here because we've had a few good conversations lately and I'm just really pleased that you've found time and you're able to join us on this week's show. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's been an absolute pleasure to listen to your shows from the beginning and I'm really excited that Karen actually found you or you sent your email to Karen and that she took the time to listen to it. It's been really encouraging. It's been really encouraging to hear other people's stories been really encouraging to hear that people have the same problems, the same challenges, the same interests, the same aspirations or different aspirations and problems, but they overlap in a big way. And I think what you're doing is amazing. That's really kind of you to say that. I was really grateful because I, I said in last week's show, Karen was one of the first people to reply to those early emails. Yeah. And I sent them out as a speculative trawl, really. I didn't know who would reply, but she came back pretty much straight away. So thank Karen for that. Yeah. We might start just by setting the scene and letting people know about your business because you, you are over in Australia on the Queensland coast, but a lot of the North American listeners probably won't know exactly where that is in the world. Yes. <laughs> We're over the sea from New Zealand and one of the largest, uh, most sparsely populated continents on Earth, as big as the North American continent, but with only 25 million people and about 4 million of them live in Queensland, 2 million of those live in Brisbane and the other 2 million spread out north and west of Brisbane and south down to the Gold Coast. So where we cover a large geographical area with a low density of population, uh, so it makes for a fantastic quality of life. We get uh, here on the Sunshine Coast, we get 300 days of sunshine a year. Uh, when it rains, it rains. It pours. It's tropical, but it is just a beautiful place to live. But it, that that geographical distance brings its own challenges. So we, you know, economies of scale are a tricky thing for us. And I'm guessing that your distance travel per service, we might get into that later, but it'd be quite high. I imagine. Yeah, it can be. And now I know from talking to you that Karen's actually from the UK originally. She is. Um, I'm a Queensland boy. I went over to the UK um, in my 20s. I had the good fortune to meet Karen in my early 30s. I'd been there 15 years when we made the decision to move. I was moving back to Queensland. She was coming for the first time. We arrived in Noosa Heads and uh, there were dolphins swimming through the ocean as we arrived. And she said, do you plan this? And, and that hooked her as a starting point. And then the quality of life has really, really grown on her. When there's an England Wallabies rugby union test match, who cheers for who? Oh, we're very neutral. We like to watch a good game played well, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> very diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. I know that you've owned Hiraloo for 12 years. Can you tell us the story of how you ended up owning a portable toilet business in the Queensland coast? Oh, Absolutely. I was fascinated by computers as a kid. I did a degree in business and computing in Toowoomba in Queensland. I went to the UK, focused on computing, and after time realised that 
I had other interests that I was very interested in renovating houses and being hands-on with something as well as using my brain to solve complex problems with algorithms. And I had spent a long time in the investment banking arena in, in IT and I had global roles that um, involved supporting getting systems out to multiple locations around the world. So a lot of complexity. And so when it came time to have a break from that and swing a hammer, it was such a shift to, to go to something physical and, and do houses up, which is something I did between sort of 2005 and, and late 2007 before we came here. When we came to Queensland, I was keen to do that again. I'd sort of left the IT for the time being. And then one thing led to another. We had a house. We had a, we had Charlie on the way. And I thought, I don't want to be driving to Brisbane and giving up the quality of life that we had gained. I started looking for business. And I think this is at the heart of one of your philosophical questions. You know, why do people get into sanitation? Mm. And And my... Blunt's answer to that is I got into sanitation to make an income. I saw a business. It was the eighth business that I looked at. I saw seven highly unprofitable, challenging, work hard for next to no return businesses, and I saw sanitation. And it instantly clicked. Now, I was naive. I'm fond of telling anyone to listen that I came into this industry very green very wet behind the ears. I, I miscalculated quite significantly the things I didn't know. It's a simple business. You know, what we yeah, do is, is a very simple business with a thousand moving parts. Yeah. And and there can be significant stress created by that. If, you know, those moving parts, if one of them breaks or three of them tend to always break at the same time. And I had a bit of a baptism of fire. We bought 15 days before Lehman Brothers in the US were denied a bailout by the US government, and that triggered the GFC proper. Mm-hmm. So credit globally just stopped. And we went from 450 assets on hire that we had bought to 250 assets on hire over a period of three months. And we looked at it and we thought, this is a Christmas effect. You know, it's going to bounce back in the January, and it just didn't. I like to tell people that's when I really got a degree in business. So I did. I got a paper degree in business in Toowoomba. I studied for that for four years, and um, and that taught me a lot about the theory business. But being in a bricks and mortar logistics business, watching trucks break, watching rain pour, watching economic factors stop people being able to build houses, which was our mainstay of our business, really taught me fast about. The, 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 the commercial realities and just how tough it can be. Reality. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And it, it was, it was baptism of fire. It's taught me a lot. Um, along the way, it's become a real joy. I didn't think we'd stay in the business as long as we have. And it feels like it's gone a bit of an eye, and yet I feel like we're just getting started. I'm really excited about some of the things that we're starting to do with our business specifically. I'm really excited by what your podcast is doing for sanitation globally in terms of connecting people and connecting ideas and the five rings that you've looked at and particularly the software side because my background has been an interest. It's really exciting time to be in sanitation. It is. And, you know, that connecting aspect, I said in last week's show, that's the thing that's most rewarding for me, that I'm talking to people literally all over the world and making yeah. people who I would call good friends now, and the general willingness of people to share information and talk about what's happening in their part of the industry has just blown me away. It's been absolutely brilliant. The the feedback that I yeah. get on a daily basis from listeners is just really humbling. It's it's just fantastic that people have, have tuned in and want to be part of the show. I never expected that. I really didn't, to be honest. I think it's self-fulfilling. I think the quality of your production, the interesting things you've got to say... It's not as the lady in the UK had expected or another listener had expected a satirical take a, on a the comedy. It's a yeah. serious podcast. Yeah, it's, it's not a comedy. That's one of the funniest things about this industry is when you first meet people, they talk about the waste aspect of it, yeah. but it's actually about logistics. It's, yeah. a, it's a complex moving beast, and as you scale and get bigger, the complexity tends to go up 
while you're trying to find solutions to keep it simpler. But at the and, same time, so it's still I, the same job, Guy. It's, you, you're still, still delivering, job. yeah, you're delivering yeah. units to sites and you're cleaning them. Well, I meet people at parties, they say, what do you do? And sometimes they say, I'm in the hire industry. More and more these days, I just say straight up with toilet hire. Yeah. And, um, and then I'll say, oh, Kenny. And you say, oh, here come the crap jokes. If you carry on with that shit, you're going to piss me off. I'm going to get shits and leave. And you know what? That little pitter-patter that I've developed over the years, becomes every single crap joke, yeah. it's over. Yeah. It's done. And, then and, pe- and, and people are genuinely interested in it, though. They make those jokes, and then they'll say, so yeah. what's it like, really? You know, yeah. what, what do you do, yeah. really? I found there's lots of things like that. Learning to have that pitter-patter, to just disarm those jokes early in the conversation to get people to start talking to you yeah. about logistics and trucks and scheduling and the like. It's one of the little secrets that I didn't have when I was green and I was a little bit shy about telling people that it was portable toilets. Sure. And, and I, you know, tell you a funny story. Charlie's now 11. He's in grade six at school. I swore to myself that I would sell the business before he was in grade one so he didn't have to be embarrassed by what Dad did. And you're still there? That's shocking. And is he embarrassed? Still here. No. 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 I think he's <laughs> loving it. He's never been teased once about what we do. And I think that comes from what I think of as setting your posture. So we treat it as a very serious business, and I don't think anyone finds that funny. No, not at all. And I think that's a good yeah. point you raise about framing it. If you present that impression and that front to everybody else they have to take you seriously and that's like you know the prestige guys spoke about their drivers wearing uniform they look professional and and they look really clean and the trucks are absolutely immaculate if you frame it properly and show that you're a hygiene and sanitation business other people will respect that and i think that shows up for us in our branding you know we've taken a very strong focus on branding from very early on when we bought the business the business was branded as higher all in capitals dash a in capitals dash Lou all in capitals plastered on everything with a stencil and that was it. If you look at our website today at www.hiralu.com.au, you'll see a very professional presented website. If you look at our Instagram, our Facebook, yeah, everything it's, it's up there. draws out our colours, it draws out our logo. We spent the money early on, even when we couldn't afford it, we spent money on branding. Because it was just so important to us to be in the marketplace as a seriously presented professional business that wanted to look national while being local. And, you know, if you set that right from the beginning, it sets the tone for everyone, for your staff, for the customers, for people in the street who pass your units. You just build on that image and that brand and you've been going a long time 12 years is a good stretch and you just said yourself you're just finding your feet (laughs) i expected to systemize in every corner of our business within 12 months and have it just running like a machine and 12 years in i feel like i turned that corner a couple of years ago we have got some really good systemization but it's taken time you see something go wrong you think why is that still going wrong why, when we do truck checks, do we still, from time to time, find a tyre that's not roadworthy? Can't legally go on the road. So, you know, what was happening with the truck check on Monday that we found that on Friday? Mm. Did those other what, guys what did you kick and flick? What did you miss? And yeah. You can't systemise everything. Every, you know, it's still a human business. Mm. There's, there's still always people involved, but that's the joy of it too. Yeah, it is. We're not robots. So if I take you back to your very first day 12 years ago, did the previous owner talk you through the business and stay on for a bit, or were you literally in at yeah. the deep end day one? Yeah, no, he, he included in the sale two weeks of training. We discovered the hard way that um, while our solicitor wanted that two weeks of training before settlement and he wanted it after settlement, and I, very naive and very greenly capitulated and said, we'll do it his way, there was a reason he did that, and that was because while I was looking at the numbers and the processes, the assets were very tired and I hadn't clocked that. We discovered the hard way that there's a significant difference between your market and our market. In our market, the straight drop or open tank toilets, they're banned. So in Australia. In, Queensland, in Australia. Well, yeah. in Queensland. In Queensland. So now I believe in Victoria, you still can use straight drop toilets. It's a really interesting anomaly within the legislation in Australia because we've got seven states and territories and they can all form their own legislation, there tend to be points of difference. 
we have larger geographical distances in Queensland and more geographically spread customers, and we're forced to use fresh flush toilets, and now we have to cart water. And it makes a different competitive model. If we just pause there, guys. So you're, you you use a four-mit toilet, which is a, a fairly big holding tank. I think you said over 400 litres in the holding tank. Just, just on, 390. Early on, I, I met a guy based down on the Gold Coast who's third-generation sanitation business owner, a wealth of experience, and he said to me, Guy, the best toilet in the Australian market is the Northern Ultra. They're over-engineered, they're over-quality, they're heavy, they're just the wrong toilet for our market. And I heard him, and I must have heard something different to what he heard, because I heard, well, they're the best toilet in Australia, and we just started buying them. We've stuck with them ever since. Yeah. We've built our entire logistics model around lifting quite substantially heavy toilets on and off our trucks with single-handed remote-controlled cranes, so we don't do any of the manual yeah. handling, but we have less risk of injury and less risk of blowover, very high-capacity tanks, very quality-looking loo in my book. I think the Fleet 100, the Polygon Fleet 100, is a great-looking loo, but it doesn't have a lifting frame, mm. and it can recirculate. I'm personally not a fan of recirculating waste materials. I'm just going to spell that out for listeners who, who aren't familiar. So the Merlin Ultra is a steel-framed toilet, with a 300-litre holding tank. 390 of waste and 110, uh, nearly 120 of fresh water. And I know because yeah. I've put one on a set of scales in a yard here. All up, I think you're pushing about 600 kilos for that unit if it was fully loaded. Uh, look, it would have to be fully loaded with waste and with water. And, of course, we know if your waste is full, your, your water should be empty. Yeah. Obviously, you were talking recently about gross vehicle mass on trailers and you're looking at the total potential capacity. I've measured that at closer to half a tonne, 500 kilos. Yeah. Fresh water, no waste, primed, ready to go with chemical. They run about 250, 250. And coming back with waste in them and the water gone can run. Because the density of waste to water is about 0.9, they can be heavier. I know you're not a fan of ever moving a toilet with waste in it. We have a license, an EPA license to carry waste, and my take on that is if it's in the tank, it's waste. If it's in the tank, it's the in the truck, tank. it's still waste. Yeah. So it's still transporting that waste as long as we've used those drops, as you call them, properly. You're good. Contained. And the difference would be, Guy, where, where I might load a toilet on a trolley manually, I'm going to tip it over to maybe 45 degrees. With your exactly. crane, you're going to keep it hanging yes. vertically and you're not going to subject it to any degree of lean. That's right, because we use a four-point engineer-certified lifting yeah. um, harness and in the toilet itself and in the four chains, and, you know, we do all our regular health and safety checks on those chains, and we have the cranes at the right capacity to be able to lift that at full extension. So everything's safe, flat, level, contained, controlled. And that's quite different because the vast majority of operators in New Zealand will use a lightweight polyethylene cabin. Yeah that typically weighs no more than 80 or 90 kilograms. And I am envious. It makes a very different logistics. And, you know, listen to the way you can lock those down on a trailer. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of ease in that operation. In some ways, I've looked at other operations and gone, geez, we should gone down that route. But what we gain is an extra 200 litres of capacity at an event. Which is a massive so, advantage. And yeah. they look good. And they level up beautifully together. And got photos of 30 and 40 and 50 litres in a row at 110 new events. And they just, you know, if the branding's all straight and the signs are mm-hmm. all straight and, and you've got that attention to detail, they just look good. And we bought a four-wheel drive loader to move them around on site so that we're not wheeling them into place. We can fork them into place very precisely nudge them up a little bit, put a chock under them, level them beautifully. They look good. And we've become the premier supplier for events seen here in Norton Bay just on the quality of the loo and the quality of our service. So how many can you move on one trailer load, Guy? Big trailer that we've got, it's called a pig trailer. I don't know why Transport call them that. Is rated to carry 10 of those loos. Mm-hmm. And we've got an older high truck that's got a rear-mounted single-handed remote control crane that can carry eight. We've got two more trucks that can carry six and another truck that can carry two that has a water cube that can be removed to make it four. And then we've got another little trailer that carries two. So our biggest run can be 18 of those. 
okay, the next biggest is 16 of those, and push comes to shove, I've even towed, you know, leaves behind my Volkswagen Amarok because mm. it's got a substantial towing capacity. For that event market then, because you've got 400 litres or thereabouts of capacity, do you adjust the number of toilets that you deploy at an event, or do you typically yeah, provide the same number yeah. of pans. Well, it's that same calculation that I guess everyone has to do, and it's in the negotiation with the customer too. So when we're talking small events, sometimes we stop talking about capacity and we start talking about queuing. Mm. So while the the capacity to lose might be there if you only had two, you might want four or five. If, you know, Say you've got 150 guests at a wedding, and people are going to sit politely while the speeches are on and then run off and go to loo. We might say to a customer, look, two of our high-capacity leads will cover that event, but you'll have queues for days. So, you know, you might want, given that you've, you've gone large and you're getting anyway, to, to put four leads out of that. We don't push it. We just recommend it on queue. And the same happens as we get into bigger and big events. So we typically allow 70 people to one of these leads at a nighttime event with alcohol. We allow 50 people if it's a 24-hour camping event because mm-hmm. you know, obviously there's a longer extended period and there's morning ablutions. And if we get into really sizable events, we start to look at about 100 people per loo for the event, depending on the hours and alcohol and so on, because we find that often venues have some toilets already, things like air shows where people will come for a couple of hours. So... They might need a lot of loose spread around a big site to look at all the planes on the ground and watch the planes taking off. But they'll find at the end of the event that the capacity hasn't been stretched. And, of yeah. course, you've now got 12 years of tacit knowledge and hands-on experience that you can make really informed decisions. And I'm guessing you're doing repeat events the following year? We do a lot of repeat events. We have a tremendous loyalty within our events. We we price well. We're not We're not charging... At the top end of the scale, we want to be competitive, but what yeah. we like to do is keep people on that service and the loyalty. And we've talked about this, and you've mentioned this many times in the show. If you're in a race to the bottom, you're going to spin out of control. If you look at a quality service and price triangle, if you're focusing at all three corners of that triangle, the triangle is going to spin out in circles. If you focus on one corner, you've got a nice solid basis on which to, to do it. And you can focus on two, so we like to focus on quality and service and price to get people's attention initially, but then work with them over time to recognise that we're bringing more value than just a cheap offering. In my local market where there are the best part of 20 operators, it's really easy to just cut your throat and offer a really low price, but it's not sustainable for anybody and it certainly doesn't help the customer. The promoter might think they're getting a great deal, but the toilet-using members of public who go to that event will feel that. They really will. One of the things that we like to pitch to people is that we want their events to be remembered for everything but the toilets. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. You know, going back to the beginning where you were asking me about coming into this industry, the, the thing I didn't know then that I've discovered now that if you're new in this industry like Ryan, I would encourage you to stick at it because it can be fun to overcome the challenges. And like Anthony and Stefan were talking about, it's extraordinarily satisfying to see a large number of your lose out on a big event and Without be working that, properly. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's really satisfying. But one of the things, you know, I was talking before about that little pitter-patter at a party is, you know, how to disarm the Kenny jokes. Another one that I've realised over time, I wish I'd realised it in the beginning, I've since realised that portable toilets will never be outsourced overseas. They will never be miniaturised in Japan. They can't be digitised in California. <laughs> They're right here, right now, and the need is not going away. To a degree, recession-proof business. Things go south badly. You might have to step back in a truck as a business owner that's scaled a little bit like I have, or you might not be able to grow as soon as you'd like to if you're a 50 lead operator like Ryan. You know, things, things get difficult. But construction never fully stops, and people never stop having events on the 21st. And, you know, things, if things are bad, people actually tend to have more parties because yeah. they're, they're trying to have a little escape I, I, from reality. And, you know, Guy, I've focused the show on the sanitation industry that I know, which is we provide portable toilets for convenience in Mm. locations where there aren't any ablutions or in a construction site before the drains have been connected or the building's been completed. But I'm also talking to people from the Sustainable Sanitation Forum, and I'm hoping I can line up an interview with some people in Africa where 
portable sanitation isn't a convenience, it's a necessity. You know. Have you read the book called The Big Necessity? No. There's a book called The Big Necessity, and it's all about the fact that out of a population in the world now, I'm going to guesstimate around 8 billion, 2.6 billion of us don't have access to clean yeah. sanitation whatsoever. Yeah. And it talks about the... You know, the while there's a focus in the world on clean water, people aren't talking about the fact that water isn't clean because sanitation is conducted right next Poor, to the source of fresh water. Yeah. 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 And so she explores sanitation in Africa, in India, in Pakistan, in countries around the world where the, the poverty line is right there. One of the things I know from another book called Factfulness is that that poverty line is coming up, which is, is great to hear because you don't... Media won't tell you that the world's getting better. The media don't sell no good news you know, stories, not newspapers sorry. and news on good news stories. But there's a book called Factfulness that, that shows how the poor are slowly but surely getting less poor. So for them, one of the big luxury items that comes into their life when they have a few more dollars is access to clean sanitation. Mm. And it's such a big thing. That, you know, some of the biggest businesses in India now are running thousands and thousands of portable toilets. Hey, it's a huge and, market. And pump huge trucks. Market. And it's yeah. a huge market. And, and, there's yeah. some, and I really admire that. Yeah, there's some really cool innovation going on. I was looking, um, it, was, it was on Instagram, actually. There's a company called Luwat, L-O-O-W-A-T-T, I think. But they've got a dry toilet. And instead of it flushing with water... It flushes and forces the waste into a biodegradable plastic sleeve. It looks like they're heat sealed or they're, they're hermetically sealed, and the waste is collected and they're burning the waste to generate power. So yes. the, there's a huge yes. amount of innovation, and, and our yes. model of portable yes. toilets for convenience sake is just a real thin slice of the industry. Um, and you know, maybe next season and the market. season after, we, we'll start exploring some of those alternatives. I'd highly recommend anyone listening to this podcast to have a look at that that book, The Big Necessity. Ladies spent an inordinate amount of time travelling the world, looking at sanitation solutions around the world, looking at composting toilets, looking at methane gas burning toilets. I haven't read that book. I looked at today in our business running four trucks with 420 construction moves out right now and um, an event fleet of another 100 30 to 150 dedicated loos just for events when they come back online, those COVID normal world. Yeah. It'll come back. And our construction side, we're actually running that loose Construction's on fire here at the moment because Queensland has been a little bit like New Zealand with the management of predators loos has been is really good. And so we've uh, been very... So are you under any form of lockdown or restrictions or just social distancing and... Social, social distancing, um, good hygiene practices, which, of course, in our industry is the norm rather than the exception anyway. And then our border between Queensland and, and just about everywhere else is currently very, very tightly monitored yeah. for, for crossovers. But it means your economy is, is still functioning, you know, maybe not 100%, but, you know, it's the same as New it's, Zealand. It's we're, been, we're functioning pretty well at the moment. We've had, yeah, we've had two groups of people, those who've been kicked really hard. So... Cafes and restaurants yeah. and others that have had a really difficult time of it, and to a degree, some of them have been able to come back. Takeaways have really helped them. I feel for those people. There have been other sectors, and you know, we are very fortunate to be in one of those where construction was deemed essential work, and so construction carried on. Everyone in March here took a big, deep breath and went, "Oh my God, this is existential. It's all over." And two weeks later, no, it's not. Hang on, we're still going, we're still mm -hmm. working. Inquiries was coming in, and what we've got now is we're in the middle of a, a quite strong boom. It's only going to get stronger when they open the border, yeah. because there are plenty of people that really suffered south of here in the, in the southern states in South Wales and Victoria who are going to want to migrate out of those states possibly forever, and and come to Queensland. So we're sitting right at the beginning of quite a quite a significant a uptick. Yeah, yeah, and it is. It's a two speed economy. There are people who are really hurting. People have lost their jobs, and people who can't keep up with the work they've got. It's yeah. strange times. Yeah. Strange, strange times. times. I'm just going to go back to the model of toilet you've used. When you deliver your toilets <laughs> to site, you obviously fill your fresh water tank. Do you prime yes. the waste tank with any fresh water? 
Yeah, so what we do, we actually have a dedicated washdown bay, and I think you were talking to the septic guys in episode 23. Yeah. In there in uh, Christchurch. Christchurch at the council. Um, yeah, and, and I think there was some discussion around um, privately owned dump points. Mm. We have a dedicated privately owned dump point that I constructed two years ago. It was one of the things that when we built our own facility, I just had to have to save on the logistics cost of running to the to the sewage works. We had to have that signed off three ways from Sunday. So council involved, plumbing side of council involved, and Unity Water, who are the private ties, water utility here, who take the waste from us through the sewage line. The sewage line, yeah. Yeah, had to be satisfied that we had a calibrated meter on that flow so that we could pay for every kilolitre of waste that goes down there, which we do. That meter confirms something that I intuitively knew a couple of years ago, which is that we dispose of about half a million litres of waste a year. And I think Red Rose Cottage's book about using waste as biofuel using waste to produce gas, to burn, to cook, to whatever. Mm. I see that as a waste. It's, you know, we're paying to dispose of something that with some capital investment, we could actually be turned into fertilizers or yeah. fuels or yeah. gases. And because the strength of the material that we're putting down the line is actually difficult for the line anyway, because there's the content, you know, mm, the, the solid content versus yeah. the water content is too, is high, um, I'd like to see us build in time our own treatment plant to turn that into various output products. I think that's actually an, un- an untapped part of our industry that w- we pour waste away. I was Absolutely. quite surprised to hear Daryl at the council say that the council are running civic buildings from the methane and then they're using the dried waste yeah. product as landfill for land remediation. I, I never expected to hear that. I was... The biggest thing we have in first world countries is a cultural aversion to using our own waste yeah. for fuels and fertiliser. So in the Asian countries, in China, you know, China's developing clearly at a rapid rate and you know, there's, there's middle incomes there. They have a cultural acceptance of using human waste for fuels and, and fertilizers. Yeah, with the paddy and fields and, and the such. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's, it, you know, it worked for Matt Damon in The Martian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, those Americans they saved Matt Damon so many times. <laughs> Ground potatoes in his human Mars, waste. Yeah, yeah. In the war. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Yeah. You preload your toilets with with fresh we'll water. Preload the toilet. Yeah, you're very good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying to keep try and keep to track. Good on. So we we have a dedicated wash down bay. We wash our toilets to within an inch of their life, and then we pre-stock them with water and chemical in the yard. Fill them with fresh water in the yard. We forklift them on the truck. We crane them off the truck. We're ready to go. At the moment they're put on the ground, they just need a little wipe to tidy up any movement. Dust, whatever that is. Has, so do you put the blue? Do you put the blue in in the yard, or you wait until the, you get to site? The blue goes in in the yard because the business is currently so active. We are prepping toilets and sending them out as fast as we can prep them. You, I'm, I'm now, sitting. I'm, I'm sitting. I'm shaking my head, guy. This is a completely different operating model to anything that I'm familiar with. It's just uh, I'd, I'd not even I'm doing it all wrong. No, no, not at all. I'm 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 really enjoying it because it, you, you're challenging my paradigm. I've worked with a fleet of Formit toilets, the Merlins, and okay. and I hated yes. them, and the guys hated them because we didn't have the crane, and we were struggling to lift them manually, and the tailgate on the truck wasn't yes. wasn't strong enough to lift yes. them, and and it yes. was dangerous. So the the guys yes. in the yard voted with their feet and would leave them in the rank, and they'd use everything yes. except. And hearing you, yeah. uh, you've built a very successful business using that model of toilets, but you've done it around yeah. that model of toilets, and that's the bit that I'm impressed with, that you've actually designed your whole operating model around that heavy format toilet to make it work yeah. safely. And it, I'm impressed, honestly. It's just incredible. that well, thank you. You don't have to carry a massive load of, of fresh water on your truck to deliver the toilet because it's, it's already done. No, we do have to carry a massive load of fresh water on the truck to service freshwater flush toilets. We have combined tanks that are 23 to 2,500 litres of waste and 1,300, 1,400 litres of fresh water in the same tank. So they have a world... Yeah, a split a, tank, a, yeah. A split tank, and they have the water evenly distributed with a tube through the middle. And we do sometimes run out of water 
and that can curtail our operations. And you know, in one of your episodes, you talk about what is a reasonable number of services for a person to do in a day. And I guess that question was framed against the straight drop, long drop yes. market. In a freshwater flush market, I feel that that number sits somewhere. It depends on kilometres travelled between those, as you've mentioned. It sits somewhere between 20 and 30 services in a day. We have had one run where a guy cranked out 37 toilets in one day in our business. He had the benefit of, I think, 17 or 18 of those being in one new big massive estate with them all literally around the corner from each other. Yeah, so very little. You almost leave the hose just plopped on the back of the truck and drive around the corner. Not wise, but equally. But time-saving, yeah. A loo here, an empty block and another loo, you'll do these time-saving things sometimes, obviously. And, and you know, you I, don't risk the public. Yeah, and I imagine that if you're delivering a toilet and it's got your fresh water on board and it's pre-primed with your blue in the tank and you crane it yeah. into place, you save a lot of time because filling a toilet with water and filling a 100-litre water tank, yeah. it, it, take, it yeah. all adds up. It all takes time. Yes. I allow in my system 10 minutes for a delivery, and 20 minutes for a pickup because a pickup is different. I have a strong preference for the loos coming back empty. Yeah. The only time we can't lose with waste in them is when we've got big events on. We've got a very small bump out window, and yeah. we have to use the truck and trailer and the forklift. So we just lift the whole lot up, or if the numbers are big enough, we get another liquid waste company to come in and just go yeah, down the line, away. and then we take everything away. I prefer a pickup to be picking them up empty and cleaned on the spot and ready to go again because if that call comes through it says, hey, that loo you just picked up, I've got a customer for it just around the corner, that's an efficiency you want to yeah. grab. Yeah. You want the loo to be right when it gets to site, not on site, before it's on before site. Before it's there. So, yeah, and that's, and that's at the corner of our model. We want, we want the customer to get the best possible experience in every possible way. So... Minimum amount of time on site pumping, minimum amount of time on site delivering, getting in the way of people, a really fresh, clean toilet when it arrives, ready to go, fully functional, perfectly maintained, everything working. And the same with events. We say to our customers in our terms and conditions that if something breaks in the first period of time, depending on the size and length of the event, then it was effectively delivered broken and we were terribly sorry and you won't take that one. It's three days into the event, it stops working, it's on you, buddy, and, you know, there might even be a damage bill for you to, to repair that, depending on the relationship with you. Yeah, event. yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Have so, you got any trailerised units, Guy? Do you, do you hire out towable units? We have two single towable Merlin Ultras. They were Polyjohn Fleet 100s. Their yeah. capacity was too low for people towing them off to camping events. Mm. We know that because... Karen and I and the boys actually went up the beach to Inskip Point and we towed this trailer loo up <laughs> and we arrived to a group of friends and I tell you, campers. I've, I've never been so popular with the lady folk in our group of friends as the day we turned up with this toilet. Oh, God, we love you. Oh, oh, there's a toilet. And I thought, this is what I get loved for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we discovered very quickly that as a... Um, as a Fleet 100 with 190 litre capacity. Not big enough. And a camping event that you've towed it all out the beach and you know, put up with the risk and all of that and a lot of people along the beach looking at you as you go, it got full very quickly. So yeah. that extra 200 litres of a, of a um, Melon Ultra, yeah. it's a game changer. Yeah. So we swapped those over on those two trailers. Just earlier today, I've ordered three more two new trailer frames to put six of our... Ultras onto, and I've been around the corner to an engineering firm to put in an order for four more single trailer loos to go up to a big civil construction project north of us early next year. Trailerised units are, are fairly common in New Zealand. Um, they're really popular yeah. with um, civil construction teams or roading crews, especially. Makes um, a lot of sense. Does make a lot of sense. Yeah. One of the the things I've always wrestled with there is the dangerous goods rule. Here says that dangerous goods must be securely held within the container. And, of course, an open-top toilet is not secure. And I've seen no. lots of units come back where they've been used and, and absolutely hammered so they're full to the brim. And you hit a pothole yeah. or a road bump and all of a sudden it's spread over the cabin. And I've even seen yeah. it sprayed out of the back of the door over the following car. 
And yeah, that's totally unexpected. Yeah, uh, but totally it's but it but it happens because um, the toilet seat can't can't usually be securely fastened down to hold any contents inside. Because we have to run fresh water flush, we have a counterbalance flap at the bottom of the bowl in a heavy suit unit that by its own weight and by the counterbalance flap mechanism prevents the waste coming back, back up, up in the main. I'm not going to yeah. say that that's bulletproof. And between you and me and all the listeners, when we took that loo up the beach on the trailer, yeah. I got a massive roll of tape out and I taped Take it up six ways from Sunday <laughs> to, for the drive back because I didn't want that experience and the tape held. It, it did the job. Well, my, my MacGyver fix was to use a, a nylon cleat that you jam a halyard into. And I'd drill a, a cord, drill a hole in the lid and f- fasten a cord through with a knot on the end, tie a big knot on the other end and then fix the cleat onto the front of the toilet bowl and jam it in just to stop it coming up. But, you know, two hooks would do the same thing, just a yeah. cord through the seat and a hook to wrap it round at the bottom. The trailer leads that we've got, and I say, we only had the two single-unit ones. They have never come back in any kind of condition that's at all worrying because of that super large yeah. capacity tank. Yeah, I can believe so that. if people say to us, look, we've got 30 people camping out for four days and we're taking one trailer loo, we might even refuse to hire it because yeah. they're going to fill that toilet and there's going to be all sorts of... And, you know, when when the motorist back. or the hire is dragging it, they're towing it back down the highway back oh, to your depot. It's your name on the door. door. We've got to a point, and, and I'm actually really proud of this, where we've chosen who we're aiming at. Yeah. And we are aiming at the the little to mid doesn't want to be super large guy. So our average builder has one toilet from us. And so when we lost 120 leads, my strategy was to replace them with 120 customers, mm-hmm. not another 120 lead customers. And, of course, you spread and your exposure there. You, you've minimised oh, your risk. Yeah. So again, we were, you know, really wet behind the ears uh, when we bought the business and big customers, you know, you get stars in your eyes and so excited. Yeah. And it's not what you want. You want to be able to give a high quality service and a high, you know, a really good quality product and the right toilet paper and the right amount of toilet paper and the right amount of chemical to a customer who's prepared to just be looked after and be able to go to the toilet in peace. Yeah. Do you know, it's really refreshing just to have a, a, an honest chat about the philosophy behind a business. That's really cool because so often I get bogged down in the, and I've done it today, I've asked you about the operational, you know, how, how much this do you use and how do you do that? But to actually yeah. talk with someone who's, who's honest and passionate and frank about their motives and their values is really, it's just really good, Guy. I'm really enjoying it. Thank you. That's great. Yeah. I, yeah, look, today I love our industry. I'm embarrassed that I ever thought that I would sell before Charlie was of an age <laughs> cool. affected, you know, that's that's kind of crazy to me now. And in your outro of your last episode, you talked about the why do people enter the industry. I, I, I'll be up front and say I, I came into this to make money. Yeah. When I read Rose Cottage's book, it, it, had, it was a seminal moment where I looked at it and I thought there's more that can be done here and maybe more that can be done locally, but ultimately – you know, the more successful you are, the more you can give back. And, but you have to have achieved a certain level of success where your own validity is guaranteed. And, you know, there's a certain number of toilets and a certain amount of systemization and process and robustness around finances that have to be in place before you can start yeah. giving back. One of the things that we've always said, because we were surprisingly going through a phase not long before we bought the business where a number of people, one after the other around us, were affected by cancer. So any time a cancer charity came on the phone for many years and they'd ask for Lou's or Leukemia Foundation particularly, we would just help out. We'd yeah. just you know, have the toilets. And, and there were times when I'm not sure we could have even really afforded to do that, but we just kept going until now we can afford to do that. <laughs> We haven't really touched on this, but I wrote my own software to solve a problem that I saw in the industry that you have beautifully espoused over those many episodes where you've touched on that ring of software, um, that there didn't seem to be, and there does now seem to be, because you've had a few suppliers put their hands up, there didn't seem to be, when I went looking for it, a software solution for 
our industry. We bought a vibrant business that then turned to, excuse the pun, but turned to ship because of the GFC. Yeah. Fighting just to keep the thing going. And I was out in the truck all day and then coming home at night and updating buddy index cards. And our first billing, our first month, we sent out 500 plus, nearly 600 invoices. It took us six days. To do the invoicing, yeah. To do the invoicing, six days. We had customers ringing up saying, you send me an invoice this month. I'm like, what? You're changing us for an invoice? My God, what are we doing so badly wrong? And it blew my mind how long it took, and it blew my mind that I discovered, you know, this is this bad software really irritates me, and I'm, I'm going to pull no punches <laughs> here. QuickBooks desktop version is bad software because I don't know why, but they... I might have to bleep that out. <laughs> I might have to bleep that out, but it... <laughs> Because there were certain aspects of it just just never evolved. And the way it printed the invoices in the order you entered them. So if you had gone through all your hires in numerical order, you went through all your hires in suburb order, or whatever it was that you did, it would print all your statements in customer name order and all your invoices in the order you entered them. Hmm. So now we have to sit and we have and to sort them up. 600 invoices against the yeah. the printed copies of the statement and then fold them by hand into envelopes, which we hand wrote to, oh, my God. Uh, it was, but, it was And, you know, I, I say this not, not as a criticism, but I know from the forums online there are still operators working like that. And, look, I get it. You know, if you have never been exposed to a better way in a way that builds confidence, in a way that is yeah. reassuring, in a way that you feel. And I felt the same thing. I, you know, I've had this experience very recently. I've looked at some really good software, really good software, and I've walked away with, I rang you. I yeah. said, I've, I've yeah. got a philosophical dilemma. I'm, it's going to bust our business, I think, to try and transition to this because we've I've built our code around our billing model and our logistics scheduling model, and we're going to break the way we service our customers, and I can't, I can't do it. And so I don't have confidence to transition from software to software. So how would you be if you're so confident yeah. in your index card system and your spreadsheet system, and you look at the software and go, but will it get it right? You know, you've got to be reassured. You won't, you do. You you do. won't upgrade. You do, and and I raised so that I question that. last last week about the transition, and it and it was after I spoke to you. You, you know, I've, I've been trying to get my head around the software and seeing the, the fabulous things that some of these packages can do, the integration and the automation, and and the fact that everything seems to be joined up and linked together. And then when I spoke yeah. to you, you actually challenged that, and you, you you made me step back and think about actually what I'd seen. And I don't know whether we can explain that and articulate that cleanly, but uh, well, I'd, I'd like to take a stab at it because it is it is somewhat of a philosophical debate that I'm grappling with, and I would welcome you know at the end of this discussion, I'd be bit more than happy to have people contact me and other people in the industry who are there, the likes of Anthony and Stefan, I'd love to talk to them. I actually would have liked to talk to them before this episode to, to progress this question in my head. Yeah. So the question the question in my, the simplest way I can see of looking at it is we are a mid-tier player. We, we sit in our market comfortably above, in terms of numbers, I don't mean in terms of superiority, I mean in terms of numbers, above the general hire companies that might have 20 years yeah. or 50 years or 100 years. We sit at a place where we've got a capacity to go to 500, 600 construction moves out using existing stock mm-hmm. and then the financial capacity to roll on to 1,000 happily. But I think of that as mid-tier. Yeah. And I think of the big players as in Melbourne, there's a company called Aim Hire. They run 6,000 moves. Another national player here in Australia is Viking. So they're at the they next run. level up from you, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's thousands and thousands of moves. Coates Hire, $100 million company, and it was sold by John Coates many yeah. years ago, and that's hearsay. I don't know that for a fact. 10,000 moves and constantly refreshing their fleet. A massive fleet and very different, potentially, to where we're at. And one of the points of difference that I prided ourselves on is that we have always scheduled to our customer needs first from day one. So 
when it was that spreadsheet, I would rejig that spreadsheet every night. It would take me an hour, two hours, three hours. Eventually, I wrote some macros to automate that. Eventually, I wrote a little bit of code to extract out a CSV file to turn it into a Postgres database. Eventually, I turned that Postgres database into a cloud-based system that enabled me to see the hires and then to interact with the schedule. And I've evolved it over time to be yeah. Google Map-based and and a lot of bells and whistles around the core serious bit of scheduling that matters to yeah. me. And what we do differently is that we don't go to, and I'm going to use New Zealand location names, we don't go to Christchurch North or we don't go to Auckland on Wednesday. We go where the customer wants us to go on Wednesday and we reschedule the nearby servicing, geographically nearby and time nearby servicing to fit with that data, give us our efficient run to make it all work. So our customers will experience early or later servicing, but our commitment is average fortnightly servicing. Now, maybe it's weekly, but you're straight drops or you get fresh water and our market is fortnightly. Um, we do a lot of weekly um, on busy sites, but the chemical works out to fortnightly. So we're a fortnightly rolling schedule and a customer might get 12, 13 or 14 days to their advantage or they might get 15, sometimes 17 if it falls from a Friday to a Monday days that our aim is to make it an average of 14 and we can show them a full history on the screen and can send it to them to, to show them how that has worked out because I, I track what I call the lag the, the time between this service and the last service and the actual frequency, which is the number of days. So, so we'll so, see that it's 13 on 14. So 14 that's, 14. that's potentially quite a complicated um, position for, for listeners to understand. So when I spoke to you, you said that you don't do a fixed two-weekly interval. You don't say we will service your toilet every other Thursday. You give your customers no. a window where you say, I think you said 12 to 15, 12 to 16 days your toilet yeah. will be serviced yeah, so, within that window. Yeah, so the commitment is we want to give you, the customer, the best possible service, and you, the customer, are, are not really going to be grossly affected by it being 13 days or, you know, to be honest, even 16 days, yeah. the other side. You are going to be much more grossly affected if you don't have a toilet on site when you've got 12 guys there pouring concrete. Yeah. You are going to be grossly affected when you're handing over the house and the toilet stores. Yes. You're going to be tremendously gross, literally grossly affected if a big storm has come through. And, you know, with the Merlin Ultra, this is less common, much more common in school holidays of a big group of kids has come through and pushed the toilet, toilet over and there's waste so, on the ground. So we have a, yeah, so we have a cascading set of priorities. We say push over toilets out. Number one, absolutely got to be there fix it as soon as we possibly can or hiring a liquid waste company that's nearby to fix it. To fix that's it. Yeah. urgent, important, EPA-affected, waste on the ground potential, fix it. And then the next highest priority in my mind is that a lack of sanitation is more important than the presence of a toilet disturbing someone's um, visual amenity. Yeah. So we prioritise a, a delivery over a pickup, then we prioritise a pickup. If a loo's broken and we're going to swap it out because we find that maintenance in the field, unless it's very minor maintenance, is inefficient. So we just crane out the old one and crane in the new one right where it was. Yeah. And that swap over is an extra five minutes. The, the clean loo comes out. We clean up the loo that's broken. But we don't go mad because we're not going to be re-delivering it. We, we sort that out back in the yard. Um, all of those... Um, changeover or restore options you know, around a pushover toilet take greater precedence than routine services. Yeah. yeah. And it, it makes sense. Routine. It, it, it absolutely makes sense. I spoke about that with Dave Andres from Sanitrax, and, and he made a point that in his markets, um, high-rise construction is really common, and they crane yeah. toilets down from the yeah. roof. And they need to be yeah. cleaned as soon as they hit the ground and then back up there. Otherwise, you've got the crane driver hanging around and the guys oh. on the on the work floor don't have a toilet. Super expensive. Yeah. yeah so, that's right. And, and Dave really liked your model of, of prioritisation. We had a really good chat about that. And it'll be I, I know other listeners will be interested to hear that, that you've actively thought about what's most important to the customer and you've prioritised those. 
And then from there, what you said about your, your flexible windows was that you can then shuffle your regular services around those priority jobs. That's right. That's right. That's that. Look, for me, I'm not saying this is true for yeah. people out there. And this comes back to that philosophical question because I'm not running a business the size of Anthony and Stephens. No. So I don't know if what I'm about to say, the way I do it, scales to their size. I'd like to think it does. And, I, and the more I've thought about this, the more I'm, I'm, I think I'm ready to defend that it, that it does. So I take the view that having a named route, 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 depending on yeah. where you are in the world, <laughs> um, is an anathema to good service because a named route only serves the, the company. Yeah. It, it serves the company to be... And what we mean by, okay. by a named route there is that we'll, we will drive the truck to Christchurch South on a Thursday... So if a yep. customer rings on Monday and says, can I have a toilet? Where are you? Christchurch South. One company yep. might say, we'll deliver it on Thursday. And we'll you'll see you Thursday. Uh, because that's convenient yep. to the company because that's when your truck's there. And there that's are, right. of course, that's an efficient and economical way of yeah. minimising your spend as the business owner or manager. So it's... Yeah, it's, it's, and look, I... We, we understand yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely we understand yeah. that. And, and it's good outro from your last episode, this is this is about codifying, as I would call it, yeah. business knowledge based on pre-computing or non-computing understanding. So so pre-computers being prevalent, a named route, we go we go to to the south part on Thursday makes a lot of sense. And yeah. it's and it's something that anyone with you know the mouse to run one of these businesses would, would look at and go, that is how I am going to best group my jobs together yeah. and and make sure I've got efficiencies. Once you have bought in computing and and geographical uh, geolocation and and using a map based scheduling software. If you let go of the fact that your maximum efficiency comes from going there on Thursday and say, my maximum efficiency comes from doing as many jobs as I can when I go to do that delivery on Tuesday, can I live with bringing all of Thursday's scheduling into Tuesday and taking Tuesday's scheduling and moving it into Wednesday? Can I live with shuffling the whole week to make my customer happy on Tuesday, then you're going to have really custom, really happy customers. And now you need software that can support that. And that's, that's how I built my so, system. I so built that's, the, that's the philosophical that issue or the, the philosophical difference there, that in your model, you, you are saying that your customers' needs are really important, the priority jobs yes. are really important, and you've got the capacity to shuffle your weekly workload to make it an immediate delivery or an immediate pickup for your customer, but still yes. retain the efficiencies and the economies of doing all of the jobs in that area. You're not making a separate route to the south part of the city to do a one-off drop. You, you, you make the decision you're going to the south part of the city and therefore you'll do yes. all of the other service calls that are there. Whether they're due yes. today or tomorrow or the next day, you'll shift them all yes. into that delivery run. That's right. And now... It will it will happen that you will go there on Tuesday and you do all that servicing and then on Wednesday someone rings you and says, Hey, on Thursday could you do so and so? And you smack your head and go, Damn it, you know, I've I've just been I've, there. I've I've just <laughs> been there. And and now you have to go there because that's that's what you pride yourself on. You pride yourself on going there anyway. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, but I feel that this approach it's a win win. The customer wins as often as humanly possible, and sometimes yeah. we have to massage it a bit. We have to say to them, look, I can be there tomorrow, but if you could wait till Wednesday, I can wait till Wednesday. Oh, great, yeah. good for that. So you bring Thursday back into Wednesday. Uh, and, you know, you, as soon as you've said that, Guy, the customer's on your side, whereas if you if you have the conversation, you say, oh, you know, we're not there until next Tuesday. You're going to have to wait until next Tuesday. Oh. You're already at war with the customer. Oh. And look, and I, I, I do get it. And yeah. I, I get it to the smaller guys that haven't computerized yet because this is a sensible bucketing system for your jobs. And I, 
And I don't know what it's like to be a three and four thousand loo guy. Um, and maybe it only works using name routes. But I just think that if you have a system that supports you in that tremendous flexibility of bringing the jobs into alignment with your highest priorities, your deliveries, your pickups, your blowovers, your pushovers, your swap outs, yeah. whatever those are, your requested pump outs against your scheduled pump outs, so that you can keep delivering service and your system supports you to do it so you're not going mad trying to work out now hang on what have you know what have I cocked up now in my in my overall scheduling picture and and that's I love the way I've done it and I'm obviously married to it and I'm and potentially blinded by it. I love the way I've done it because we schedule this next two week window a day at a time. We try to have a structure for the coming week and then the week after so we know where we're at for resourcing, if the driver wants a day off, okay, that's Thursday next week. Yeah, look, we'll work around that. We'll find a way. You know, we're looking okay out there because the jobs roll over. So if I pull them back onto Tuesday this week to keep that average fortnightly commitment, they automatically, when they're done, now roll over to Tuesday. Just in two weeks' time, yeah. And they sit on a pseudo-named route of Tuesday two weeks' time as the date and assigned to that same driver as did them this this Tuesday. But we have the total flexibility to then go, oh, but someone wants a pick-up on the Wednesday, we'll shuffle the whole lot of Tuesday into Wednesday. That doesn't happen as often as you would think. You get a lot of fortnightly rolled-over jobs that are just getting their 14 days nicely. But our drivers know never to come to work expecting to do the same run on a, on a on day a, on they a did two day. weeks ago. It's fully dynamic. It's driven by those customer needs first, and our need for efficiency second is achieved by, it's in writing, it's in our terms and conditions. If you hire a toilet from us, we commit to an average of 14-day 14, 14 services, and, not actual 14 days. And, and, Guy, the benefit of that is that sometimes you just either run out of time or you have a breakdown or you run out of capacity yeah. and you don't finish oh, today's run. And, and in, a, right. in a fixed schedule, what I've seen there is that, the, that say, the toilet's on a two-weekly clean, for whatever reason they didn't get there today, quite often I've seen that toilet be left then until another two weeks' time. For two weeks. So and it's I been left for a I, month. I haven't seen that. I've seen that. Yeah. Oh, that blows my mind. Yeah. That blows my mind. So the jobs that aren't done in my system get clicked as blocked or locked or too yeah, wet the, because, you know, it pours here with rain and, and some sites just get, get too boggy to get onto yeah, it. Sure. You know, you're going to spend $350 recovering a truck to do a, you know, mm-hmm. to do a pump out that doesn't yeah. cost anything like that. It can be a driver issue. The, the driver fell ill halfway through yeah. the day. Can be a truck issue, the hydraulic hose and the crane break, you know, yeah. whatever it or is. Blockage so or if whatever, we hit yeah. one of those, yeah, if we hit one of those redo reasons, it will redo, it pops over to tomorrow because it's still due. It's yeah, tomorrow. It's still due. So it's now yeah. tomorrow and it becomes unassigned. So it's no longer assigned to that driver. It now sort of actually pops up on the radar as, hey, this one got missed and it's starting to lag. It's starting to creep out of, out of sync with the other jobs. It's starting to look potentially long in the tooth. So we go 14 days is green, 15 days is green. We get to 16 days, 17 days, it's orange, 18 days, it's red. So we can look down a list of jobs or we can look on a a map of pins and we have a a highlight colour to tell us the ones that are overdue and they have a priority as well. So now it's it's your pushed over loose, your deliveries, your pickups, your swaps, and your overdue servicing gets more attention than your due servicing. Yeah. Because obviously, as you, things creep out, you don't want it to go you don't on want forever. It to go on. No, you need and to do it. And of course, it's too wet, too wet, too wet. And yeah. so you can ask them say, hey, let us know when your site is dry. Let us know when you're back at work. Because if we can't get in there, often they can't get in there either. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. know, it, even if, if you've got an issue like that, it, it's much easier sometimes just to deliver a second toilet. Um, if you can't get to the first yeah. one to clean it, just give them a second toilet. We've done that too. We've had yeah. sites where to get up the driveway is just a bog fight. 
you put a new toilet at the bottom of the driveway and, and they make their way down as, yeah. as they need to. Still better than going to a service station that might be five kilometres. Or leaving the original toilet for guys to use and you know girls on site to use oh. for five or six yeah. weeks. I've seen that and it's not it's not good for anybody. Yeah. I think we should probably okay. wrap it there because otherwise it'll take me a week to, to trail through three hours of audio. Fair enough. But Fair enough. Now, I guy, would, I've really I, enjoyed that and I, I hope we can have yeah. another conversation soon as a follow-on to. to this. I'd love to. If you'd like people yeah. to contact me to talk about my experience with my system well, I, my different approach to it. Well, I know um, there's two guys in Auckland who would love to talk to you about the design of your washdown bay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so i think that conversation will have, and they'll be listening they'll know exactly what i mean that when they hear that so. <laughs> funny that i see what one thing i can tell you is never build a wash down bay that's going to wash down both the trucks and the toilets because you'll be forever moving the toilets out of the way of the trucks. Wash the truck, they've yeah. got to be separate <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure talking hey i've loved I, it i, I, I always really enjoy talking to you and you know if it wasn't for covid you've said it i've said it i think i'd have been over there by now and you'd have been oh, over here but and vice versa yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. So that was Guy Smith from Hyraloo. Now, I recorded an awful lot more audio than that, but the show's now been running for over an hour and seven minutes, and I think that's probably enough for this week. I'll definitely be coming back to talk to Guy in the future because there was so much more that's happening in Hyraloo that it would just be an absolute shame not to share that with the rest of the world. Now, Guy was very generous and said that he'd love to hear from other listeners and share his knowledge and expertise. Rather than share Guy's phone number, and it's probably safer if I direct everybody to go to the Hiralu website. That's Hiralu, H-I-R-E-A-L-O-O.com.au, and you'll find a contact form if you fill that in that'll go straight through to the office. Thank you to Charlie and Benji for the absolutely fantastic introduction to this week's show. I really enjoyed having you be part of the team, boys, and as usual, there'll be coffee mugs on their way to Queensland. And before I go, I'd just say that the book that Guy mentioned is The Big Necessity, Adventures in the World of Human Waste by Rose George. Once again, thank you for your time. I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed. <laughs>